Good morning once again. Let's bow ourselves once again at the throne of God, shall we? Let's pray. Lord, thus far in the sermon, you have come along and you have declared to us that the poor in spirit are flourishing in the world that you've created because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you've said that those who mourn are flourishing because they will be comforted. And now this week you will say to us that the meek are flourishing because they will inherit the earth. Lord, how upside down these words of yours are. But I pray, Lord, this morning that you, as Jeremiah said, your word is like a hammer that you would take your redemptive hammer and continue to deliver your blows on our calcified hearts, on our hearts that have believed wrong things. And we, Lord, confess that in many cases we have traveled through this life in a wrong direction and with wrong values and with wrong assumptions. And so I pray, Lord, that today would be another piece in our redemption, that you would come and speak to our hearts and to our minds, soften us for your glory, uh, make us uncomfortable if necessary in order to overturn earth and in order to tear down, in order to build up. These things I pray in the mighty and in the precious name of the Savior and Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There's an incident recorded in the Old Testament book of Numbers at the start of Numbers chapter 12 where Miriam and Aaron, some of us may remember the story, Miriam and Aaron grumble against Moses. They grumble against Moses' choice of a bride and they also grumble about the authority that Moses had been given. That incident of Miriam and Aaron grumbling is followed immediately in the text by the sentence, and the Lord heard it. Numbers 12.2. You see, the important thing concerning the grumbling of Miriam and Aaron against Moses is that the Lord heard it. And then that sentence, the Lord heard it, is followed immediately in the narrative by another important sentence, which reads as follows. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. So notice, friends, we go from Aaron and Miriam grumbling to God hearing the grumbling to a note about Moses being the Wayne Gretzky of meekness. And then after that, the narrative goes immediately to a section where God himself sorts out Miriam and Aaron for their grumbling. 
Now, as an initial foray into our subject this morning, I want you to think about this question. How is it exactly that the Bible can call Moses the meekest man on the face of the earth when it was Moses who had once murdered an Egyptian? When it was Moses who had once been quite curt as he stood before the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh. How can Moses be called the meekest man on the face of the earth there in Numbers 12.3 when it was Moses whose anger had once burned hot, Exodus 32.19, as he smashed the tablets, destroyed the golden calf, and then made the people drink golden calf powder Kool-Aid. Moses, meek. Moses, the meekest man on the face of the earth. Well, clearly, the Bible must be defining meekness in a very different way than most of us would define meekness. If the Bible can call fiery Moses, the meekest man on the face of the earth. And so our question becomes, what is meekness according to Scripture? That's part of what we need to explore this morning. But for now, just return with me, if you have your Bible open, just for a moment, to Numbers 12.3. That verse explicitly calls Moses... Very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Okay, Moses was superlatively meek. But yet, but yet, at the close of his ministry, super meek Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. Moses promised his fellow Israelites that they would go into the promised land in a place like Deuteronomy 4.1, he promised that. But Moses himself, the meekest of the meek, would miss out on going into the land. Well, all of this makes our preaching passage pop if I can use that word. This morning we're at Matthew 5.5, 5, and there we have our next makarios statement that comes from the lips of Jesus. Jesus says, makarios, flourishing, are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Moses Meekest man on the face of the earth did not inherit the land in the end. But you and I, if meek, will inherit not just the land called Canaan, but rather we will inherit the entire earth. This would mean, as Dale Allison has put it, that you and I are more blessed than the great Moses himself. Did you know that? We are more blessed than the great Moses himself. Well, friends, 
In addition to the fact that Matthew 5.5 conjures up instant associations with Moses and with Moses' life, as we've tried to show, this verse also has direct and explicit connections back to Psalm 37, verse 11, where the psalmist says, the meek shall, what? Inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Isn't that interesting? In fact, it seems abundantly clear as we read Matthew 5, 5, that Jesus is quoting his Hebrew scriptures. He's quoting Psalm 37, 11. So let's just talk about Psalm 37, where that's where Jesus takes us in Matthew 5, 5. Psalm 37. So first of all, The idea of inheriting the land is a major theme in Psalm 37. We find that phrase, inherit the land, in Psalm 37, 11, as we've pointed out already, but also in verses 3, 9, 22, 29, and 34 of that psalm. What's particularly interesting in Psalm 37 is that a couple of times specifically in verses 18 and 29, this talk of inheriting the land is couched, listen, is couched in terms of eternal inheritance. Eternal inheritance. Notice verse 18. The heritage or the inheritance will be, how long? Forever. And then again in verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Eternal inheritance. The psalmist is prophesying more than simply a temporary stay in the land or some sort of stopgap stay in the land. He's promising more than that. He's promising forever in the land, a stay in the land that will have no end. And this was in keeping with God's initial plan. Back at the beginning in Genesis 1.28, top of the screen there, God had wanted his people in the land forever. He wanted his obedient created people to multiply over the face of the entire earth and fill the entire earth and subdue it in the land forever, without end. But as a result of the fall into mutiny against God that happened with humanity in Genesis chapter 3, the focus then narrowed down. In the time of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, it narrowed down to possession of a specific land that God would grant to his people, the land of Canaan. But then in times and centuries that followed after Moses, the psalmist and the prophets would come along and they would begin to prophesy once again about the whole earth being for God's people. It wasn't simply Canaan that was the real estate that belonged to God's people. It was the entire earth. And so God could say to the Israelite king in Psalm 2.8, 
He says there, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Yes, the land promise had expanded again to include all the earth or Psalm 72, 8. God's desire there is that the king over his people has dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. In Isaiah 27, verse 6, the prophet talks about Israel filling the whole world with fruit, which is a direct throwback to God's original plan in Genesis 1.28 that his people would fill the earth. In Isaiah 54, verses 2 and 3, God says to his people that their offspring would possess the nations. The Apostle Paul can say in Romans 4.13 that really the promise to Abraham and his offspring was that they would be heirs of the world. And Paul gets that from reading his Old Testament. You see, friends, it was never just Canaan that God had in mind for his people. It was the entire globe. The plan is that we as believers in God's Son will have dominion over the recreated world that we await. And we will have that dominion forever as co-heirs with the crucified and risen Jesus, the King of Kings. So, in Matthew 5.5, when Jesus speaks of the meek inheriting the earth, Jesus comes from a Jewish Stock and background. And there he's talking through the lens of Psalm 37 and Genesis 1 and Isaiah 54 and Psalm 72 8 and Isaiah 60 and 61 and Isaiah 27 6 and Daniel 7. This is nothing new that Jesus says here, but it is astounding in its glory. And I hope you see that this morning. Randy Alcorn, in his book, Heaven, encourages us to consider the glory of the meek inheriting the earth one day. He says, quote, Consider the marvels of this revelation. God's children who suffered under ungodly earthly kings will forever take their place as earthly kings. The great cultural accomplishments of ungodly nations will be handed over to God's people to manage and develop and expand. The very earth to which Satan once laid claim will be stripped from his grasp and given over to those whom he hates and seeks to destroy God's saints. Yes? 
The earth that was first put under humankind's dominion, Genesis 1, and was twisted by the fall, Genesis 3, will be redeemed, restored, Revelation 20 and 21, and put under the righteous rule of a redeemed and restored humankind. Close quote. Hallelujah, it's coming. The meekest man to walk the face of the earth, Moses, didn't get to see the land. But you and I, if meek, will one day take possession of the entire earth. We are more blessed than the great man, Moses. But now back to our question. How does the Bible define meekness? The meek shall inherit the earth. The man who murdered and whose anger burned hot and when he was smashing the tablets, the man who struck the rock, he gets the honor of being called the meekest of the meek. So what does meekness mean to the Bible? Some of us, I think, some of us may may hear the word meek and we might automatically think of a person who exudes a flabby sort of niceness. Or we might conclude that the person who is meek is the person who stays quiet, who runs from conflict at all times, who is forever easygoing and sort of weak, sort of a harmless type, a doormat who is somewhat spiritless, benign, kind of milk toast. Moses was none of those things. And Moses is described as the meekest man to walk the face of the earth. So what is meekness according to the Bible? Well, we get good clues from Psalm 37 that Jesus is quoting in Matthew 5.5. And often when Jesus or the apostles quote something, Really what they want us to do is go back and review the entire context of what they're quoting. So we go to Psalm 37. Jesus quotes Psalm 37.11 in Matthew 5.5. But before the psalmist gets to verse 11 of his psalm where he names the meek, he first describes for us in the first ten verses of the psalm the sort of person who is meek. According to the psalm, the meek person is the person who doesn't fret over evildoers. Verse 1. Like Moses didn't fret over Miriam and Aaron in Numbers 12, but left their stupidity up to God. The meek person is a person who does not fret over evildoers. And, according to Psalm 37, the meek person is one who puts his or her Trust squarely in the Lord, verse 3. The meek person, according to verse, or Psalm 37, is the person who delights in the Lord, verse 4. The, the meek person is the person who commits his or her way to the Lord, verse 5, and who waits patiently for the Lord, verse 7. We might summarize it this way. A meek person is a person who is submitted to God in all things. I'll repeat that. 
A meek person is a person who is submitted to God in all things. This is what it means to be meek. Or to quote Charles Quarles, the meek person is the one who lives in complete dependence on God and total submission to him. Yes, the meek person is the person who is surrendered to God no matter what. So that, friend, you can be a strong personality and still be meek. You can have zeal and still be meek. Meekness, you see, is more about internal submission to God in all things than it is about external characteristics. In the moment when Moses smashed the tablets following the golden calf episode, it was zeal that was coming out of his internal meekness, coming out of his internal submission to God, his internal submission to the will of God. Moses was a heroic, rather forceful personality, but Moses can still rightly be called the meekest of the meek. Moses was fearless in leadership, but Moses can still take the label of meekest guy in the world. These things are not at odds. Moses is described as the meekest of the meek because Moses operated, for the most part, operated in the strength of his God, in submission to his God, in dependence on his God. Moses resisted self-assertion for the sake of self-assertion. This is a picture of meekness. Perhaps this might also help us a little bit here. Again, consider that story in Numbers 12, okay? Miriam and Aaron grumbling, squawking. The Lord hearing the squawking. Moses leaving it up to the Lord to deal with Miriam and Aaron. Meekness. A reliance on God and a submission to God. Moses was a strong personality, to be sure, but Moses depended on God. It's like fire in the bottom of my barbecue smoking chamber. Whenever I have a chance to talk about barbecue, I usually do. Fire is powerful, right? You light a fire, and if you provide a strong wind that is full of oxygen, that fire will quickly grow, it will spread, and you can burn down an entire forest. What I have to do with my barbecue smoker is I have to control my fire because fire is powerful. If I want my temperature inside the cooking chamber to stay at an even 250 degrees Fahrenheit for 18 hours while I smoke a nine-pound pork shoulder, I have to carefully control the flow of oxygen with the bottom and top vents. Fire 
is powerful. If you want to harness it for your purposes, you have to control it. I think meekness is like that. One writer has described meekness as, and I like this, strength under control. Strength under control, like a fire that you control by controlling the flow of oxygen. Our fire is controlled by God and his word. We submit to him. He tames us by his own self and through his word and the spirit wielding the word on our hearts and minds. So although evil sparks up around us, though somebody crosses us and harms us, we submit ourselves to the almighty God we know through scripture. Meekness. Flourishing are the meek. Though we suffer injustice, we remain patient in this God. Meekness. Now, I am conscious as I stand here talking that I have a long way to go here. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I really do. But I am reminded that the New Testament calls me to put on meekness. To put on meekness. Colossians 3 verse 12. Put on meekness. So take off the soiled clothing of my impatience and aggression and self-reliance and put on meekness. Submission to God, dependence on Him in all things. And my prayer is, Lord, assist us to do this increasingly. It is not within our power to do it. We need your help. Our beatitude this morning is Matthew 5.5. Flourishing are the meek because they shall inherit the earth. Friends, it's the meek and the meek only who will inherit the earth. Flourishing are the meek because they shall inherit the earth. Nobody else, only the meek. This is so important. It seems like almost every message that we are taught in our culture is the opposite of what Jesus says here. We are bombarded every day with messages like, rely on yourself. Submit only to your own dreams. Be superior in power. Exercise your will. Be independent. Raise a rumpus if you have to, to get what you want. But Jesus comes along, and through the lens of Psalm 37, Jesus says to you and to me this morning, he says, no, erase all of that. 
submit to God in your life and depend on Him in all circumstances. It's not about your life movie after all. It's not about you having God as your co-pilot. It's not about you having God in some sort of supporting role to fulfill your dreams and your fantasies. No, God is in the pilot's chair all by himself. Life is about God and God's story that he has been unfolding since Genesis chapter chapter 1. Find your place as a bit player in his movie and trust in him, commit your way to him, feed on his grace, surrender yourself to his will at all times and in all things, be meek. And your reward will be the earth. The earth. I don't know about you, but I want the recreated earth that's coming. And so I need to be Meek. And of course, to see what meekness really is and to understand what it really looks like to be meek, we look at Jesus himself. Amen? Now, at the time when Numbers 12 was written, it was no doubt true that Moses was more meek than all people on the face of the earth. But Jesus came along as the new Moses who is better than Moses. Jesus said of himself, he said of himself, who says this kind of stuff? But he said of himself that we, you and I, need to learn from him because he is meek. Who says that except Jesus? Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Imagine saying that to somebody. Oh, <laughs> learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am praus, in the original Greek, I am meek. Friends, to go to the school of meekness is to look at Jesus and learn from Jesus. That word in Matthew 11:29, praus, which is normally translated as either meek or Gentle, learn from me, for I am praus, meek. It's the same word that we find in our beatitude in Matthew 5 5. Flourishing are the praus, the meek. Jesus is meek, according to Jesus. When this Jesus comes into Jerusalem in Matthew 21, how does he come? Remember? He comes praus, meek. Riding on a donkey. And if you want to talk about submission to God, dependence on God in all things, which is what meekness really is, according to Scripture, you need look no further than the description of Jesus that we have in 1 Peter 2.23. That verse says this of Jesus, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Did you hear that? 
Jesus continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus is meekness personified. Jesus is meekness on full display. Jesus is strength under control. He is total submission to God. He is completely surrendered to God's will. We see that everywhere. Even as he suffers scorn and persecution and the cross. This is what meekness is. Now, was Jesus zealous? Most certainly he was. But zeal, as we've said, is not at odds with meekness. In one incident, Jesus made a whip of cords and drove certain people out of the temple, even as he overturned their tables. Jesus could be fiery in his zeal, but Jesus is, at the same time, our model in meekness. Zeal for God's house ate him up. The overturning of the tables and making the whip of cords was coming out of his meekness. It was coming out of his total submission to God and God's will. Zeal is not at odds with meekness. Where is the meekness of Jesus found? It's found in the fact, it is centered in the fact that he left, listen, he left everything about himself in the hands of his Father. Jesus left his rights, his words, his actions, his cause, his future in the hands of the Father. And so flourishing are the meek, thriving are the meek, thriving and flourishing are those who are submitted to God in all things, those who depend on God in all things and in all circumstances. Flourishing are the meek because, says Jesus, they shall inherit the earth. They shall take possession one day of a recreated earth, an earth remade, teeming with resources, and free of rebellion against God. The meek know that right now, as we live in this overlap of the ages, right now, the meek know that they don't need to brutally assert their rights to ownership. Because they will inherit the earth. It's either true or it isn't. The meek don't need to resort to violent takeovers, violent occupations, and violent property grabs. The meek don't need to fight back selfishly and assert their rights and fire up in anger and be on on the defensive because the meek know that one day they will will repossess a recreated earth forever, a world that will be eternally teeming with material and physical and spiritual blessings with the meekest of the meek, King Jesus, walking by our side. Now, what's the application of this sermon? The application is, first of all, to see that in Matthew 5.5, there's an invitation to us, isn't there? An invitation, like there is in every one of the Beatitudes. The invitation here in Matthew 5.5 is to increase in personal meekness. And how do we do that? 
We do that, first of all, by regularly and prayerfully, and I, and I hope you'll commit to doing this, regularly and prayerfully beholding the biblical examples of meekness. Regularly and prayerfully. Abraham, deferring to Lot. Moses, leading grumbling people. Jeremiah, faithfully serving his countrymen under horrible circumstances. But especially Jesus, who exemplifies meekness better than all of the others combined. And secondly, we make personal meekness an issue of prayer. In other words, don't just come and hear the sermon today and, and say, great, it's lunchtime. Make it a personal, personal issue of prayer. Doesn't First Peter 5.10 call God the God of how much grace? All Grace. The grace we need, the grace we want, is meekness. Enhanced meekness. More meekness. So we go to the source. We go to the God of all grace on our knees and beg him for an increase of meekness in our lives. Confess to him your shortcomings. Tell him about your imperfection, which he already knows about anyway. And ask for more meekness. Knowing that this quality comes from the Holy Spirit and knowing that only the meek will inherit the earth. Flourishing are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Father, how easy it is for us to get the roles reversed and to think that you are in a supporting role to our plans, ambitions, and purposes when in fact it's really the opposite. Knowing that if we live into your story and your plan and the way that you are unfolding history, that we will be blessed. And so, Father, I pray today that for someone here who this word from Jesus has stirred something up or, or made somebody uncomfortable, that you would redemptively bring healing and bring strength, bring a new um, paradigm perhaps, a new outlook. Lord, we thank you that you, Jesus, are our shining model of meekness. And by the Holy Spirit's power that you have given to us when you saved us, you are calling us to be obedient to what you command and you give the resources for us to be able to obey. So we thank you for your good plan, for your power, for your enablement. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the Lord show kindness to you. May the Lord grant each of you rest. May those who dwell in your house be blessed. May they ever be praising the Lord. Amen.